Matthew chapter 9 for this morning. We're going to look at four miracles that uh, is recorded for us by Jesus in Matthew 9. It's really the last section here that we've been looking at this power of Jesus in your life. Uh, And these four miracles carry that out as as well. But the setup to these four miracles is found in verses 14 through 17 uh, that was just read for us. And in those those, uh, verses there, you have Jesus being asked an important question. And that question then lends itself to these miracles that really support the answer that Jesus is going to give. I have mentioned to you on a number of occasions that with Matthew's gospel, I do not believe the intention is for you to take these very short records of these miracles and hold them in isolation. But rather they are being grouped together by Matthew to show us a, an important teaching purpose about who Jesus is, his power, and ultimately what he's come to accomplish. You might recognize some of these miracles. They're given fuller details often in Mark and Luke's Gospels. Matthew condenses and says, I want you to see something by putting them all together. But that's all set up by this rather strange question that arises. In Matthew 9 and verse 14, you will notice that it's the disciples of John who now come And they have a question that they are giving Jesus. And noting that it is the disciples of John is important. That it's not scribes or Pharisees or Sadducees or somebody that you would expect that's trying to trick Jesus or catch Jesus in in an answer that they can discredit him. We should read this as a legitimate question. These are John the baptizer's disciples. But they are observing something that they don't understand. And they ask... Why is it that we as the disciples of John are fasting and we see that the Pharisees are fasting, but your disciples are not doing that? We don't understand. Why aren't they following suit? Why aren't they fasting also? And you'll notice that Jesus gives an answer there in verse 15 when he says, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Now, what he's setting up for is a thought about what fasting is all about. Why do you fast? Why did people fast in the first century? Fasting was not something that you did in times of celebration and joy. You didn't go, well, I am so happy. I am so blessed. Things are going so great. I'm going to go ahead and fast. That's not the function of fasting. Fasting was usually used in one of two ways. One, in times of mourning. It was in times of despair. And in particular, that was tied to the second reason is in your mourning and in your despair, you are calling out to God earnestly. You are showing the weight and the significance of what you are imploring to God. And so as you pray, you would often fast to show the importance of what you are giving to God. And so it was not something that you would do when you are celebrating, but something that you were doing with intense need or in intense difficulty. And you see that as Jesus answers that in verse 15, when he says, can the wedding guests mourn? Is that this is not a time for mourning. It is a time for celebration. Fasting at this moment by his disciples would be 
entirely inappropriate. It is a time of joy. It's a time of celebration in the moment. And and what Jesus is doing is ultimately giving an answer as to why it would be inappropriate. In verse 15, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Did you catch the implication? Implication one is, I was the one you were fasting about. Can we be fasting when the bridegroom's here? It's kind of like, you know what John's disciples were all fasting and waiting for and, and pleading for and longing for? Right here, me. Uh, I'm the one. So how could it be possible for them to be fasting when the one that you have been fasting for is finally here? And then the other implication is, therefore, it's a time of joy. It's a time of feasting, it's a time of blessings, a time of celebration because Christ has come, the long-awaited Messiah and Savior to whom we've been praying for, longing for, waiting for, seeking after, has finally arrived. You will notice a little bit of a parenthesis, though, that I think is fascinating that Jesus throws at them in verse 15 when he says, but the days are coming when the bridegroom is going to be taken away from them and they will fast. This is not me in permanence here. I'm going to be here, but there's a time when I'm going to be leaving and you're going to be waiting again. You're going to be longing for his return again. You're going to be seeking for him to come and you're going to be praying and desiring that. But that moment that Jesus says is not right now. I'm here. And so it would be inappropriate to be fasting. What is appropriate is feasting and celebration. Verses 16 and 17 then give two illustrations to prove that idea where he points out it is inappropriate to put a a, a new patch on an old garment. It's not going to work. The patch is going to destroy the garment. No one in their right mind in that day and time would do such a thing. So again, a highlighting of inappropriateness. Same thing in verse 17. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. The fermentation process will cause it to expand And if it's in an old wineskin, it's going to burst and be destroyed. Inappropriate. So he's using that as a a point about the inappropriateness of his disciples fasting while he's here. But in the midst of saying that, he's setting up what's about to take place. Because you'll notice in all of these instances, he's describing himself as bringing something new. He is the the new patch on the old garment. He is the new wine of the old wineskin. I'm coming and bringing something new. And what I'm bringing is why it is inappropriate for sadness, mourning, and fasting. And that's what sets up these four miracles. Is These four miracles are going to reveal what the new thing is that Jesus is bringing. In fact, you'll notice it almost is set up like an interruption by Matthew in verse eight in verse 18. Now, while he was saying these things, you see how it's just running right into these miracles. I want you to get the sense that something new is happening. But what I'm going to do this morning is a little bit different where I would usually go piece by piece and we'd analyze the paragraph. What I want to do is read all four miracles together. And as we read these four miracles, I want you to pay attention to the comparisons. What is similar about who is coming to Jesus, what they are saying, what they are doing, and how Jesus responds? Because these similarities between the four miracles 
is going to show what Jesus has come to do. So kind of keep your eye open and ear open to what is similar about these rapid fire miracles, because that will be our main message that we're going to look at then this morning. So let's read them all together, beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 9. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they all laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went and and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. But when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Nothing has, Never has anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. There's our four miracles that we're going to look at this morning. First thing that we note of a comparison in all four of these miracles is you are observing some desperate people. You have a synagogue leader and you'll note that it says, my daughter is dead. He is an absolute desperation, daughter dead. And so he is coming to Jesus about that circumstance. You have a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. She's unable to find a solution, and so she is coming to Jesus desperate after 12 years of suffering that he would be the solution to what what she, she needs. You have two blind men who are described here, and obviously they are desperate. They are unable to see, and they are coming to Jesus, and they are looking to help for, for help from him. And then finally, you have a demon-oppressed man who cannot speak. And he now is brought to Jesus. And so he is also in a desperate situation. The first thing you are seeing in all four miracles is everybody has a desperate condition and they understand that. They understand their need. They understand that they need Jesus. They understand that they have a problem that only Jesus is able to solve. And I think that's an important start point as you think about what these miracles are going to to show to us is this desperation, this understanding of their deep need is why you are going to see within them a very deep faith. Did you notice the expressions of faith that were given by each of them? 
the synagogue leader comes up to Jesus and says that you can lay your hands on her and she will live. Now think about that. Why would he think that? Why would he possibly think that Jesus would have the ability to raise his daughter from the dead? It's not like that's going on all the time. Do you know the last time someone sent from God raised somebody from the dead? Elijah and Elisha. It's not like that happened last week or last month or last year or within their lifetime. Well over 800 years have gone by and God has sent all kinds of prophets to Israel. And those prophets did not have the ability to raise somebody from the dead. Isaiah and Jeremiah and those prophets are not raising people from the dead. And yet this man sees Jesus and says, you come to my house and raise her from the dead. Well, where do you get that idea? Some deep faith is on display when he says those words. Some deep faith is seen in the woman. It is amazing that the woman does not say, I need Jesus to touch me. Nor does she say, I need to have a conversation with him. She simply thinks, I can sneak up behind him, touch his garment, and I'll be fine. Where did she get that idea? She doesn't need a conversation. She doesn't need his touch. She just thinks she's going to sneak in and sneak out. If I just touch his garment, he won't know the difference, but I know how powerful he is and I'll be healed if I could just simply do that. And so that's exactly what she does. Again, a huge display of faith that is observed here. How about these blind men and what they are saying? Not only are they blind and coming to Jesus for healing, which is amazing enough. Again, how often are prophets running around healing blind people in the Bible? That's not happening. That's not something you see. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all those guys are not doing that. So they're already expressing an amazing faith to think that Jesus can do it. But push it a little bit further. What are they saying about Jesus? Son of David. That's the first time in Matthew's account that we've seen somebody confess that title about Jesus. They're saying, we know you're the Messiah. We know you're the lineage of David. We know you're the one that the scriptures prophesied of that was going to establish his throne and establish his kingdom. And it was going to be eternal reign. You're that one. Have mercy on us. They know that. And so they're expressing deep faith in Jesus when they say that. Or how about the demon-oppressed man who is mute? You're oppressed by a demon. And yet, he believes that Jesus has the power to overcome the darkness and the forces of evil to deal with that situation. Nobody else is able to go around doing this. It's one of the most fascinating things about the Gospels. Who else is able to cast out demons? Yet they're coming to Jesus and saying, we know you can do it. I am demon oppressed and I know you can do it. You have the power. Your power over darkness is so great that you will be able to heal me. And so he comes to Jesus. You are seeing desperate people with a very deep faith 
on display. And Jesus does a direct confirmation about that. One of the things that you see in Jesus' response to each of these people is very important. You will notice first to the woman in chapter 9 in verse, in verse 22. Take heart, my daughter. Your faith has made you well. Jesus is confirming her faith. Remember, there's, Matthew doesn't record a conversation. She just goes up, touches. Jesus spins and goes, take heart. That amazing faith that you are displaying in this moment is the reason why you are made well. Be of courage. Take heart. My daughter, your faith has made you well. How about a little bit later when Jesus comes to the house in verse 24? Verse 23 records, you have all the the crowds making a commotion at the house of where the daughter has died. Now understand, that was how you did things back then. We're about somber and quiet. Can you imagine a funeral home being a just noisy commotion like that? Be completely countercultural and offend our senses. But in that day, that's what you did. You hired personal mourners and wailers and flute players, and they made a bunch of rackets so everybody in the town would know that this family member has died. That's what they're doing. And I want you to see what Jesus does. Jesus then comes amongst the crowd and says, you all need to leave because she's not dead. Uh, I want you to imagine the last time you were at a funeral of a friend, loved one, family member. And imagine someone having the gall in the midst of that scene to walk in and go, you know, everybody, you all should go away because you know what? The person's not dead. They're just sleeping. Could you be any more insensitive? Are you kidding me? You don't think we know how to take a pulse? You don't think the doctors have checked this out? Are you kidding me? Not dead, sleeping. You you, got to be kidding me. Jesus is already doing something right here in the midst of walking through these direct confirmations. Your hope's not gone. I know you think life is over. I know you think your time is done. I know you think your hope is over. But I'm here. And I'm bringing the new hope. I'm bringing the new life. You all need to go away. It's not a time for mourning. It's not a time for fasting. It's not a time for grieving. It's a time of celebration. She's not dead. I'm going to do something amazing here to show that hope and life still remain. In verse 28, when it comes to the two blind men, notice what Jesus asks. Do you believe that I am able to do this? You have these men, son of David, Have mercy on us. And notice the the question, this direct confirmation moment. Do you believe that I am able to do this? And then in verse 29, according to your faith, be it done to you. According to the faith that you have, let this healing take place. I love this miracle because you notice that you have blind men who are able to see Jesus before they're able to see Jesus. They, they, they know who this guy is. They, they're very clear in grasping who this guy is. They don't have physical sight yet, but boy, do they see 
the son of David? Do they understand exactly who he is? And that physical sight that is going to come along with that spiritual sight that they absolutely have. And so you see this confirmation being given in all four of them. According to your faith, let it be done to you. Do you believe that I can do this? That your, you, your faith has made you well? Do you understand what I have come to do? And that's what leads them to the divided reactions. You'll notice that sometimes you have mockery. When Jesus says, the girl is not dead but sleeping, what do you think everybody did? They didn't go, oh yeah, that's, that's, you know, we ought to check that out. No, instead you'll notice in verse 24 it says, and they laughed at him. This guy coming in here saying that she's not dead. What a joker. And they're just laughing at him, mocking him. Notice in verse 34, the response, as you have this uh, demon oppressed man and he is healed and the demon is cast out. Verse 34, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. This guy is clearly on the wrong side. He, he, he clearly is doing this by the power of Satan himself and is not from God. But there is one clear response that is given in verse 33. Never has anything like this has been seen in Israel. Never was anything like this seen in Israel. We haven't seen anything like this. This is unbelievable what Jesus is going around doing. Raising people from the dead. Stopping people with a flow of blood that, that no one else has been able to heal. Being able to heal the blind so that they can see again. And then here is this demon oppressed man who cannot speak. Not only now can he speak, but the demon is cast out. So here's the big question about these then four miracles. What is the new thing that Jesus is bringing? What is he indicating through these four miracles to show who he is and what he's come to do? And I hope it becomes really clear. You are seeing Jesus making the offer of new life. He is able to bring everyone a new life. Here are people who are desperate. They are helpless. They are afflicted. They are oppressed. And yet Jesus is able to give new life. The daughter is raised from the dead, giving her new life. The woman with the flow of blood, she's given new life, not only no longer afflicted, but no longer than unclean and at the outskirts of society. She now has a new life. The blind men are shown mercy. They have new life. They're able to see like they've never seen before. Now the whole world's been opened up to them. New life as they're able to see. The demon oppressed man, he's mute, but he's now given new life. Freedom from oppression from this demon. He is now experiencing a new life. This is the whole idea idea of what Jesus is doing with this discussion back in verses 14 to 17 about this is a time for fat, for feasting and celebration and joy because I am bringing new life but notice what the miracles have set up that that new life comes by having faith in Jesus this faith only comes by seeing our own desperate need 
and realizing that Jesus is the only answer to that need. All four are in that situation with these miracles. They grasp their desperate need and they understand that only Jesus can be the solution to that. And Jesus says that repeatedly. Your faith has made you well. Do you believe that I am able to do this? According to your faith, be it done to you. Now, I want to stop on that line for a minute and have us just kind of ponder the question and the follow through. Do you believe that I am able to do this? And think about the other side of this. Imagine if Jesus said this to you. According to the degree and the level of your faith, let it be done to you. What would that look like? Based on your faith and how much you have, let it be done back to you. What would that look like for you? What would that look like in your life? You note that Jesus is observing their deep faith and saying, because of your deep faith, let that be done back to you. Watch what I'm going to be able to do for your life. To be more clear and to put it in the other direction, let me say it like this. It is often our failing faith as to why we fail to experience new life. That's what Jesus is doing in these four miracles. Do you believe I can change your life? Do you believe that I can give you new life? Do you believe that I can free you from your oppression? Do you believe that I can cause you to see? Do you believe that I can set you free? Do you believe I can give you the hope that you're looking for? Do you believe that I am able to do something so amazing that no one else would ever believe it could happen? Do you believe he can do it? First picture, raise my daughter from the dead. Well, do you believe that he could do that? This man did. Flow of blood, just touch his garment, no conversation. Do you believe you can be healed? According to your faith, let it be done to you. Sometimes I believe we really do not believe that Jesus can change our lives. We just don't believe that he really has the power to change our lives, to free us, to help us, to move us forward. We just don't believe that. Or sometimes even worse, we just don't believe that Jesus has anything we need. I'm just doing fine. I'm making my money. I've got my stuff. I've got my car. I've got my things. What does Jesus have for me? I don't need anything from him. Don't just fine. Perhaps we don't believe that Jesus can change our condition. This is just the way things are always going to be. Can't reverse it. Can you imagine if these people did this? Well, my daughter's dead, so, well. Well, I guess I'm always stuck with this flow of blood. It's been 12 years, so nothing's ever going to get any better. 12 whole years. No, it's not 12 days. 12 years. Be oppressed for 12 years. Do you think you'd still have hope after 12 years? She does. Blind from birth. Well, that's never going to change, right? 
demon oppressed. Who's going to do anything about that? Do we believe that Jesus can change our condition? Do we believe that Jesus can change our life? Do we believe that he can make our lives new and give us a new life? Do we believe that we can start over with him? That's the question that this is asking. Do you believe? What a great question that, that he offers there. Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I'm able to accomplish that? And I believe so often our answer is no. No, I don't believe you can do this. I don't believe you can change my life. I'll pay lip service to it. I'll show up to church. I'll sit in a pew. I'll do some perfunctory things. But life change? Eh. And I hope you'll hear Jesus' words. According to your faith, let it be done to you. I think we miss out on a lot. Because we really don't believe that Jesus can change lives. Yeah, he can change it, but I'm going to get over here. I'm going to do, (laughs) I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to solve it. I'm going to do it. Do we really believe that Jesus has the power to accomplish anything in our lives? Flipping this the other way, Jesus is telling us we can't be made well until we have a deep faith in him. I hope you'll hear that from this message. We cannot be healed, we cannot see, we cannot be made free, and we cannot have new life in him unless we have a deep faith in him. These people understand that. They have a proclaimed faith that lead to bold responses. They have that understanding about who Jesus is. That's what moves them to do what they do. They understand who Jesus is and what can be accomplished. And it didn't matter that this synagogue ruler had never seen somebody raised from the dead. He knew he could go to Jesus and Jesus could do something about it. How many things do you have in your life that you go, yeah, but I just don't think Jesus can handle that. I don't think he can change that. I don't see any, you know, look around. Things are a mess. I think so often we block off what we believe God can do. Because we just simply presume, well, he can't do that. He can't do that. And we're like, oh, God can do anything. But then within our hearts, what do we have? Well, he can't do that. He couldn't bring somebody back from the dead. It's crazy talk. He couldn't heal somebody, right? That's that's nuts. He couldn't stop somebody having a flow of blood for 12 years that nobody else could solve. He couldn't do that, right? What's Jesus trying to say to us? Except the radical life change that is available to each and every one of us is there for the taking if we believe. If we would really believe. I love the response of these people. Did you notice the synagogue ruler? Verse 18. My daughter has just died and come lay your hand on her. Look at the words. Not. And I hope you can do something. She might. Make it. And she will live. You come, she will live. 
The woman with the flow of blood. Notice what she said to herself. Verse 21. If I touch the uh, touch his garment, I wonder maybe that will. If I touch the garment, she says, I will be made well. How about the blind men? Have mercy on us, son of David. They know. Mercy's here. Mercy from the one who can bring healing, who can restore, who can give life. And I'm asking you this morning, do you believe that you can have new life in Christ? Do you believe no matter what the mess is, no matter how spiritually messed up things are, how deep your sins, how awful it is, no matter your suffering, your problems, your difficulties, do you believe that God has the ability to help your life and change your life? Do you believe that he has the power to get you through to the other side? Do you believe that he can be the comfort that you need? Do you believe that he can change all of that from your past and give you a new life going forward? Do you believe that he can heal the old wounds of what sin has done to you and give you new life going forward? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to change who you are from the inside and make you somebody completely different so that in years to come, people in the past who knew you would say, I don't even know who you are are anymore you've been so changed by jesus do you believe that he has the power to change your life that's the question of the miracles can you be what god is what wants you to be by his power if you will have the faith in him to trust him to give your life to him to fully believe that he can change everything about you You don't have 30 more minutes, but if I had 30 more minutes, I would tell you all kinds of stories about my past, difficulties in my life, from broken homes, severed relationships, devastating consequences, living in a dark place, not wanting to deal with life anymore, to watching God change and change and change and change. We can think that the future just has nothing for us. It can't get any better. And God says, just watch me. Do you believe that I can make changes in your life? Do you really have the faith that God can accomplish great things to transform you to be the child of his that he wants you to be so that you not only have new life now, but new life in the world to come? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, all these miracles are powerful, Lord. And they show us what your son has come to do to set us free from sin, to set us free from the things that hurt us and oppress us and hold us back from following you as like we ought. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for as often as we believe that your arm is too short to do something in our lives. That we can believe that 
you won't forgive us because of what we've done. That you couldn't possibly love us for the things that we've done. That we believe that it would be impossible for you to change us from being children of wrath to people that you would praise and glorify. Forgive us for when we believe that you cannot accomplish your purposes in our lives and how we live. Forgive us for not believing in the transformation that you make possible as you change us and mold us and make us what you want us to be. Lord, I pray that the words of your son would ring into our ears this morning and through this week that according to our faith that it would be done to us. Lord, give us a deep faith. Give us a great faith. Lord, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Please keep us from shortchanging what you are able to do and how you can change us and how you can make us so different and use us as instruments in your service. Lord, we look for that. We desire that. We ask for you to do it in our lives. And Lord, we, we, we will submit to you through the difficulties and through the hardships as you change us in that way. And so, Lord, help us in that. Lord, help us to see that you are the only answer. You are the only help. You are the only way that we can be changed. And Lord, we pray that you would give us a new life change us from the inside out so we could live as servants of yours in a new life for you. And Lord, we look forward to your son's return so that we could be together with him in all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.